How do we design care for the whole person? It's a challenge for healthcare professionals in primary care practices, community hospitals, and ambulatory care centers. If you're listening to WIHI today, it might be a challenge at your organization as well. That's why we're proud to invite you to this year's IHI Summit on Improving Patient Care, being held April 26th through the 28th in San Diego, California. With more than 30 sessions of workshops, learning labs, inspirational keynote presentations, and a myriad of networking opportunities, you'll have the opportunity to explore cutting-edge improvement and engage with colleagues from all over the country on how to confront the mutual challenges of modern healthcare. This year, we're focusing on process, people, and partnerships, emphasizing new strategies around high-risk patients and populations, strengthening your workforce culture, and developing relationships between primary and specialty care. For more information on the summit, including scholarship opportunities for students and residents, visit IHI.org summit, or shoot us an email at info at IHI.org. Now here's WIHI. If I told you that there's a program that helps low-income seniors who are disabled age in place, that is, in their own homes, you'd probably say, great idea. Aren't there a lot of programs like that? It turns out there actually aren't, at least not in the U.S., and one reason is the patchwork way services in the home are triggered, arranged, and paid for. Social services and healthcare dollars rarely come out of the same spigot. So when a team comprised of a nurse, an occupational therapist, and a handyman work with an aging adult with disability to come up with some pretty simple fixes to help that individual function well at home, it's kind of radical, but very, very doable. And we're going to learn about this model and whether something so obviously helpful and cost-effective can spread. That's coming up on this edition of WIHI. And I want to welcome you to WIHI. We are an online audio talk show from the Institute for Healthcare Improvement. We're here live, biweekly, and then after the show, you can find us on IHI.org and on iTunes. I'm your host and producer, Madge Kaplan, and I'm also IHI's Director of Communications. We've got the co-creator and, dare I say, champion of a model called Capable on today's WIHI, and she's had a chance to demonstrate its effectiveness thanks to federal innovation support and also other funding sources. We've got a handyman who's busy in Baltimore fixing railings indoors and out and putting in grab bars in bathrooms and in other locations. And we've got an early adopter with a program from Michigan. So to introductions in just a minute, but first here's IHI's John Cossier, and he's going to remind you how to take part in today's WIHI. John. All right, Madge, uh, just a few items to point out to help everybody make the most of today's program. Uh, on the right of the screen is a chat window. If you tuned into WIHI before, you know about the great conversation that takes place in the chat. It's also where you can ask our panelists your questions, so make sure that your questions and comments are directed to all participants when Madge opens up the floor to questions. This allows our panelists and your colleagues on WebEx to see the questions and comments being shared. Now, there are a few ways that people have connected to WIHI today. If you're logged on to your computer and listening to the program by scream, streaming audio, not screaming audio, streaming audio, <laughs> coming through speakers or your headphones, you'll see a box in the top right-hand corner labeled Audio Broadcast. If you're on a less reliable Internet connection today, we recommend calling in on the phone. If you experience any audio issues, please send a quick message to the host in the chat. A simple solution to any audio hiccup may be to pause the WebEx audio player and then press play. If that doesn't work, please let the folks at IHI Customer Service know. I have their number on the screen right now. Also, if you're hoping to get your hands on today's slides, I've provided a direct download link in the chat. 
Tomorrow they'll be posted at our archive over at iChad.org slash WHI, along with today's chat and other helpful articles and resources mentioned by our guests. You can also email info at IHI.org and they'll send them your way. And finally, we're always looking for ways to improve the listener experience on the program. Please take some time uh, afterwards to fill out a very, very quick survey and let us know how we've done. Back to you, Mitch. All right, thanks, John. And we'll get to the chat and your comments and questions at about the halfway point of the show. If you feel like tweeting during or after the program, thanks for including at the IHI and the hashtag WIHI in your tweets, and that will bring others into the conversation. All right, I want to get right to introductions. Joining by phone, Sarah Zanton is a professor at the Johns Hopkins University School of Nursing with a joint appointment in the Department of Health Policy and Management at the Johns Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health. She tests interventions to reduce health disparities among older adults. Welcome, Sarah. Thank you. And nearby, geographically speaking, Gary Felser is construction supervisor for Elder Services at Civic Works, which is working with Sarah's research team and the program capable to provide home repairs. Gary leads the construction team in providing these safety services, and he also supervises and helps train AmeriCorps apprentices. Welcome, Gary. Thank you. Good to be here. Wonderful. And in the state of Michigan, we have Judy Kell. She's currently the manager of the Pathways to Better Health at Mercy Health, which is part of Trinity Health, and she's also the coordinator for the Muskegon County Homeless Continuum of Care Network. Welcome, Judy. Thank you. All right, we're going to start with Sarah. Sometimes there are resources and services that really practically beg to be combined in order to solve fairly straightforward problems, and in this case, basic supports for low-income, disabled adults aging at home. So I wanted you to maybe start off by explaining why there's been such a gap here and how did you come to focus on this issue, and welcome again. Thanks. Great. Thank you, and I'm so happy to be here. Um, I'm a nurse practitioner, and I've provided house calls to low-income older adults who were homebound or it was very difficult for them to leave the house. Some patients crawled to the door to let me in. Others threw me keys from an upstairs window because they couldn't get downstairs. And one in particular taught me that housing really is health. She scooted around the house in a wheelchair and she had to get on her knees to get to the kitchen and just grab things from the refrigerator. She lived by herself in a housing project that was an increasingly fearful place because people were moving out. It was scheduled to be demolished. She had to pay her neighbor to take out her trash. She had to pay a different neighbor to help her read her bills and pay them. And together with others, we got her moved to a new senior building that was an old school that had been remodeled with tall windows that let in lots of sunlight. And over the course of the next several house calls with her, I was able to remove two of her diabetes drugs and two of her blood pressure medications. And that was my aha moment. She was the same person with the same biology, same lived experience, same occupational exposures. All that had changed was where she lived. And I used to work with homeless adults, and we have a saying in homelessness that housing is health care. Well, it turns out that inadequate housing, you know, leads to poor health as well. And um, so I started to think about what kind of models could we create that were nursing visits plus home repair or home alteration for people who wanted to stay in their own home. Um, and in the course of this, I discovered that 
the people who cost 50% of the healthcare dollar are only the 14% of people who have functional needs. Um, but we don't address function in regular medical care. I certainly wasn't in those original home visits. I was focusing on their blood pressure, their diabetes, their what, what kind of exercise were they getting, all the kinds of things you do in a clinic visit. I was ignoring what was around them until I really got hit on the head with it by having someone move. Um, so in the course of trying to figure out what to do, I discovered the work of Laura Gitland, who developed the ABLE program. And she um, developed the ABLE program in Philadelphia in the 2000s. And that was a model that was occupational therapists plus some home modification and one physical therapy visit. And she'd had wonderful results um, where people had been able to start being able to take their own bath, to get dressed themselves, to groom, to walk better across the room. And it, they even decreased mortality. Um, but they didn't address some of the things a nurse could address, like pain, mood, medication understanding and simplification. So together we adapted ABLE to create CAPABLE. Uh, it's, it's a four-month program. There's six occupational therapy visits, four nurse visits, and up to $1,300 in home repair, modification, and household items, things like um, 30 steps. And um, there's a couple of innovative things about it. One is that it's person-directed around people's own goals. And what I mean by that is someone would maybe say, I would like to be able to prepare food for my granddaughter, or I would like to be able to take a bath without needing my grandson to pull me up out of it, or I, um, I want to be able to get downstairs holding the dog who gets stuck upstairs. That's, that's actually something that happened with us um, and can't come down. And so we developed this program. You can see the slide on the page. Overall, it costs less than $3,000. And the, um, we found that 75% of the people improve over time. And this is actually a conservative measure because we asked if they have any difficulty with any activity of daily living. And the average improvement is cutting in half the number of areas of difficulty people have, which is really unheard of in disability interventions, and especially with low-income older adults over time. Um, and one thing we're very proud of is it decreases depressive symptoms in 50% of the participants, and that's including the people who had none to begin with, um, so really more in the people who are depressed. And uh, as I think you mentioned, it saves Medicare money. It, um, the CMS evaluators have found that over two years, it saves $20,000 per participant. And as we see, it, it costs less than $3,000 a participant. So it's, um, it's innovative in terms of following people's own goals and that addressing physical function as being key to health expenditures and that uh, addressing the person and the home at the same time. Are you still there? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Just want to make sure nobody's yeah. going anywhere. Yeah. Um, okay, so um, I want to make just a, you've got, we've got a couple more slides, which we can Great. even just okay. kind of uh, uh, just in terms of the impact that you've already been able to show more reinforcement. But just so people are clear, I want, uh, can you explain why these particular adults are not being attended to um, I understand the model of capable, but also why is nobody paying attention to this uh, otherwise? Right. What, how are they slipping through the cracks in a sense? Right. So, um, you know, any listener on the call will notice 
if you go to a regular primary care visit, nobody asks you or your parents or your grandparents, can you stand long enough to cook? Can you get your leg over the bathtub? Um, can you uh, walk well? Have you fallen recently? Sometimes people are asked about falls. But these other um, items like bathing or dressing or grooming are essential to being able to age at home, but they're not considered part of medical care. So we tend to get, because our whole system was developed in, for acute events like a heart attack or a hip replacement, we, people are asked those questions right after a heart attack or right after a hip replacement when they're having rehab. But in terms of general prevention of um, disability, and, um, and taking care of disability once it's there. It's not part of the regular system. Um, there are Medicaid programs that where if someone's certified as being nursing home eligible, they can get some services. But there, th this is the only program that we know of that actually takes a preventive lens at looking at disability and, and further disability and combines this attention to the home environment the person's function and their medical problems all together to try to catalyze that new, those new abilities. Okay, great. So we have first we shared uh, a slide that's uh, explaining that it's in 20 sites mm -hmm. uh, and various kinds of programs that are supporting. So the the neat thing is there's all this research going right along with it. Um, and then again, we have uh, some of the publishing uh, that you've been doing, you and your team and co. Uh, colleagues, uh, I guess what, just maybe speak uh, before we move on to Gary, what would you say are some of the most important things that have been found already? Right, so the most important things are that we've, on this slide that's showing right now, 75% of the people improve in their what's called activity of daily living limitations. So that's things like being able to dress or bathe or uh, groom or walk across a small room. Um, and 65% improve in their IADL limitations. Those are things like managing medications, getting groceries in the house, light housekeeping. Um, and then, as we mentioned, the depressive symptoms are um, decreasing. And then, as you can see on the far right, our home hazards are significantly de decreasing um, through Gary and other people's work. And together, these combine so that someone is less depressed, they're they're in less danger in their home, and they're able to take care of themselves. And it's like a, the opposite of a vicious cycle, where now they can start to get out, they can um, start to do more things, they can um, take care of themselves and meet those those meaningful um, goals that they had um, wanted to be able to do. And um, much like other kind of patient-centered care that's in other ways, the more we approach what the person wants to be able to do, then the motivation is there. And so we're not going in haranguing them about taking their diabetes medication. What we're doing is unleashing their own motivation to being able to do what they wanted to do in the first place, and then that leads to um, decreased healthcare expenditure through other ways. Mm -hmm. Okay. And we see these savings uh, around Medicare uh, that you were also showing and published uh, in 2017 in health affairs, and uh, maybe just one more. Yeah, let's look at this one, sure. the monthly Medicaid. So right, this so one. this one, sure, well, this one was published in the Journal of the American Geriatric Society, uh, and it, there was an accompanying editorial about the importance of it. And um, what you can see here on the right side is the capable group, and on the left side is a 10 to 1 matched comparison group, meaning there were people who were matched um, to the treatment group, and the big difference you can see is the rust-colored area, and that is inpatient utilization. So um, capable 
based on this and based on the um, Medicare data, is decreasing um, inpatient and skilled nursing um, and specialty care. The only thing that it really increases is home health, which we think is likely appropriate utilization as people get some home physical therapy. Um, the blue lines at the bottom you can see are um, the treatment group is less likely to be in the long-term care. That's what the blue is. And actually that difference alone is enough to just pay for capable uh, for each person. Um, but where the really bang for the buck is in decreasing hospital admissions. Okay, great. All right, I want to uh, move, thank you very much, Sarah. I want sure. to move on to Gary, uh, but maybe we'll qu uh, quickly ask uh, this uh, question from Grace about criteria for enrolling uh, participants in the program. Great, so we have um, different different sites that have scaled it up have had slightly different criteria. Our criteria that this research is based off of, our people are over 65, they're cognitively intact, and that's been important because there's a lot of problem solving and brainstorming. We can get into what the nurse and OT actually do in their visits. Um, they're able to stand, and they haven't been in, admitted to the hospital more than four times in the last year, and that's because this program involves um, 10 visits over time, and it's hard to get going if someone's um, in the hospital you know, every month. Okay, all right, and uh, we can uh, expand on that if need be, but thank you very much. Okay, sure. thanks, Sarah, and uh, keep the questions coming because we'll get to them fairly soon. All right, Gary, and Gary sent along uh, a selection of photos <laughs> uh, just to help us see some of the, uh, you know, the kinds of things that they're working on in people's homes. John uh, here in the studio uh, did some nice before and after looks at things. Um, curious where that painting was put up uh, that's in the corner there, which is also very nice. But Gary, uh, you've done a lot of work in the community in the Baltimore area for low-income people, and I'm curious, is this the first time in terms of your engagement with Capable that you've gotten as uh, engaged uh, with something with, with the uh, healthcare system? And tell us uh, what you're doing. Thanks. Okay. Um, hi, I'm Gary, as she mentioned. Uh, I'm the construction supervisor for Civic Works, which is a nonprofit in Baltimore, and we work to strengthen communities through education, skills development, and community service. Um, so I use my skills. I was a custom cabinet maker for over 37 years, and I've got a background in design and engineering uh, with Civic Works Elder Services Program. And we had also been out in the city uh, doing uh, home repairs, uh, a little bit different. Our work was um, actually based through social workers. So it's how to keep seniors in their homes safe, obviously, but also uh, maintaining them as part of the community because that's very important for them and for the communities as well. Uh, with CAPABLE, it's OT-based, as Sarah said. And I don't know if anybody had mentioned, but CAPABLE stands for Community Aging in Place, Advanced Better Living for Elders. Took me a long time to learn that, but I'm glad I could get it <laughs> out there. Uh, okay. Anyway, it, it's great working with Sarah and the OTs and the nurse and, and being part of another team helping the elders. And as I am of that age, and if you saw the picture, you saw the gray hair, the seniors uh, seem to like that, that a guy with gray hair is actually coming in to, to help them out. Um, so uh, as uh, Madge said, we install grab bars and railings. I've probably done a 1,000 of each. Uh, but the difference they can make in somebody's life is, is really astounding. 
Uh, seeing someone able to get up and down the stairs without doing it one step at a time or on their butts or not being able to do it uh, is really a game changer for them, and it's inspiring uh, to me and to our AmeriCorps apprentices. There's one on the left in the, the photo that you see putting up a grab bar. So, And it's really exciting to see them um, with the changes in, in their lives. One woman told me it made her feel like she was 16 again because it was so easy to get up and down the stairs. Uh, and grab bars make it easier for anybody to use the tub or shower. Uh, we've had uh, clients' daughters um, who say, well, I don't really need the, the grab bar. It's really for my 95-year-old mother, So, uh, but we'll, we'll put it in just for her. And then it turns out that they use it uh, as well. Uh, we've had heard stories of seniors being stranded in the tub because they didn't have grab bars so they could get safely out or not even be able to use the tub. Uh, we had several clients who were years uh, since they'd, they'd been in the tub the last time. Uh, another client was very excited about her new doorbell. She invited everybody over to see the bell and hear the bell, uh, and, and it was amazing that there's a doorbell that actually works and doesn't chime if your neighbor has the same one. Um, so the, the program's really been kind of a win-win-win for me. Uh, the seniors get what they need. We chain our young AmeriCorps apprentices, and I get to, to give back. Uh, AmeriCorps, for those who may not know, is a national service program, uh, and young folks do a term of service and get a stipend. Uh, ours, they're, they're all different ages, but the ones we use generally are 18 to 24 years old. Uh, they're looking to obtain some skills and maybe go into the construction industry after they finish. Uh, some of our graduates have gone into the industry, some work for Habitat, some have come back to be on staff at CivicWorks, and we have uh, four at a time. There are three other construction leaders plus me in our program, uh, so each of us gets one. And then we have three groups through the year, so we try to uh, kind of impart our knowledge to 12 people through the year. Uh, we train them how to use tools properly. Uh, how to install railings and grab bars and locks and doorbells and so forth. Uh, we teach the math skills, uh, which they need now, and also hopefully will transfer to other parts of their lives later on. Uh, teach them how to be a good employee, show up on time, things like that. Uh, another uh, important part, I think, is how they interact with the seniors. Uh, so it, it provides some contact for the seniors and reinforces how valuable they can be to the neighborhood. And the seniors love seeing these, these young folks uh, coming in and doing something their lives, with their lives. They, they comment on that all the time. Uh, and the seniors like to offer advice on everything <laughs> and anything, from keeping a job to the importance of education. My favorite was uh, one of my apprentices came in. The, uh, the senior looked him up and down and said, you know, you got to get your teeth fixed. That was the first thing she said, and I thought, good for her. Uh, anyway, so they, they, they like to get involved. Um, and actually, one of our AmeriCorps apprentices recently, with his new skills and, and the confidence to do this work, installed a rail for his brother in their home because the brother broke his leg. He had a hard time getting up and down the stairs with just a rail on the one side. And the brother was impressed that he even had the skills and could, could do that. When they finish the program, uh, the AmeriCorps folks get uh, an education award, uh, and then they can use that for pretty much any two-year, four-year school, trade school, or whatever. Um, so one, one of the issues we have is the limited budget, which means that we can't always do everything that we would like, but we try to do as much as we can. Uh, the occupational therapists put things in a, a priority order so we can figure out what makes the most sense. We try to do uh, as many of the items in order as we can. Um, once in a while, we'll have an issue where there might be something that um, 
nobody knew about. Uh, for example, there's a kind of electric breaker box that has been known to not work properly, start fires and things like that. So if we see something like that, uh, that's kind of a, an important issue that we need to take care of first. But other than that, uh, we, we do as much as we can and, and get everybody happy and, and staying safe in their houses. Back to you, Madge. Okay. <laughs> You're going to come host this show with me. All right. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Thanks, Gary. I really appreciate it. Um, I want to go back to those uh, outdoor stairs for a minute, John, uh, and that uh, kind of brought up a question for me. Even though you put in the outdoor railing, which uh, seems critical, those uh, steps uh, still seem quite harrowing. Um, certainly in the winter time, and uh, that did bring up for me and maybe for others listening kind of the limitations, uh, the kinds of things you can do, and I assume you do have to draw a line, and even if you put in a railing, you might not still encourage somebody uh, to use it too often. Is that is that true? Absolutely. Uh, as you can see, the rails are, I mean, the, the steps are very steep. If you can, can notice the detail, a lot of the, the risers, which is the height between the steps, are much taller than the treads, which is the part where you put your foot. Uh, that's definitely not to code, but it's all that's there, and it would to change that would be impossible with budget, and also I think it would come in front of the window on the lower level. So in that case, we're just trying to make the best of an existing situation. If we're, if we're building something new, let's say a, a ramp or, or fixing a deck or something like that, then we'll, we'll work with code and, and make sure that things are the way they're supposed to be. A lot of the houses have very, very steep uh, stairs to the basement and we just do whatever we can to make them at least passable. And if the seniors need to go down there, they, they can, but we kind of encourage them to have somebody else go down there if they need to get something. Okay, all right, very good. Well, thank you, for the, thank you Gary, and thanks for uh, the comments coming in thus far. You've gotten people going. Uh, this is one of the reasons we always love the chat, and we think it works for you too, because I can see people are spurring each other on with some interesting ideas and getting these, this involved even more so in education and ways that people could uh, be enlisted to do this kind of work. All right, so let's go to Judy now in Michigan. And uh, this is one of the sites uh, that has picked up uh, the capable bandwagon and is really learning a ton. So, uh, Judy, tell us um, kind of what you've been doing there and uh, kind of you've, you've also got some neat new plans too. Thanks. Thank you. Well, like Sarah, we were a recipient of one of the federal um, innovation awards, and that particular award was to use community health workers to go into homes and help uh, patients with their social determinants of care to improve their health outcomes. And basically what we found early on in this program was that our health workers could do a tremendous amount with the patients in their homes, such as getting them food assistance, utility assistance, helping them um, get roof repairs, and, and do a whole host of other kinds of things that uh, 
um, assisted them with those social determinants that ended them up in the hospital. But one of the things that kept we kept finding was that there were the little things that we keep talking about, the handrails, the steps, all of those kinds of things that there wasn't money or a program or a nurse or somebody that or an occupational therapist that we could have that health worker work with to assist those patients. And if you look at the map there, Muskegon County, if you look at the Michigan map, we're right across the lake from um, Milwaukee. And if you look at our statistics, you can see we're not a very healthy community, um, but we do have um, a significant population of seniors and um, a lot of need in our community. So we were fortunate enough um, to come across Sarah's program. And so then the next question became, this is a great program, how am I going to possibly get this uh, funded and work with our patients? And we were fortunate enough to uh, apply through the Trinity Health Innovation Challenge Grant Program and were awarded funding. And Sarah has been our partner in this. Uh, she has assisted us with the training. She's assisted us with research. Uh, they will be doing the return on investment study for us. And so we started our program. We have a fabulous OT um, and a great nurse and handyman that have made significant um, uh, changes in the lives of the people that we've served. And we were able to keep the community health worker as part of our team because in our community, uh, the citizens of Muskegon County voted to increase their property taxes so that services could be provided to seniors. And so we're able to maintain that community health worker who can stay with that patient past that four months that the OT and the nurse and the handyman are with them in order to finish up any other kinds of needs that they might have. We've also been fortunate to be able to partner with our local Meals on Wheels. We're um, actually cross-advertising um, or marketing our programs together. Uh, but it, our long-term goal is to um, create a um, same needs assessment tool so that the patient does not have to uh, answer multiple types of needs assessments as they enter into our program. So um, it, it's been a great program as we've started this. We've uh, learned a lot of things on the ground. Um, it is very patient-directed, um, as Sarah has said. And as you can see on this slide, our handyman is installing uh, some bars and some things in the shower uh, because, as you will see from Annie, she talked about she couldn't 
get a, a jar off her top of her shelf in her pantry. She had fallen. She didn't want to get in the bathtub. Uh, she has a lot of peace of mind. And Annie is just one of our patients. We have another patient who has um, now able to go in and out of the house with much more ease thanks to the repair of some steps and some hand railings. And now she is able to leave her home and she volunteers um, at the local hospital um, and gets a chance to break some of that social isolation that she had because she didn't feel comfortable leaving the home. We don't have our final results yet, but what I can tell you is in the first um, three quarters, we have seen um, pre and post a reduction in the number of hospital admissions and emergency department visits that these patients have had. Just like Sarah, our patients do need to be cognitively intact. Um, they are over um, 60. We, we did reduce the age in our, uh, our program. And because of our grant requirements, our um, seniors, um, senior patients are dual, have to be dual eligible, which is both, of course, Medicaid and Medicare. We are looking um, to include this program in our budget and are requesting community benefit dollars from the hospital. Uh, to invest in our program because we've been able to show some cost reductions to them. Obviously, we've we are we've asked and received senior millage money. Uh, we will also uh, be talking to payers as well. Um, we have one of our. Um, local health plans is interested in our program and working um, towards uh, potential reimbursement structures with us. But we see this capable program as a fabulous um, addition to our Pathways program. Um, it, is, it has provided a, a great source of um, uh, uh, ending social isolation for a lot of our patients and lessening the fears of being in their homes along with reducing the number of falls that some of them have had, but were unable to get assistance for simple things like grab bars. Okay. Well, thank you very much, Judy. Uh, this is, of course, just a a snapshot of, of things, and folks are starting to ask some particular kinds of questions. I do want to remind everybody, you'll see on everyone's bio slide, that people have generously offered their email addresses, and uh, as more things occur to you, you want to follow up, uh, see kind of uh, ways to get started on some of this. Um, hope you will take advantage uh, of that. But thank you very much, Judy. Uh, for sharing that, and uh, now we're going to really go to Q&A and discussion in earnest. And um, I, again, people seem to be quite uh, <laughs> jazzed around talking about students uh, and neat that people are thinking about the health professions and people who are also in other kinds of professions, learning um, or apprentice situations, learning how to be plumbers or carpenters. Um, I do want to ask Judy one question. I it, it is so remarkable to hear about a community 
uh, that actually voted to raise property taxes uh, in order to spend money on services for seniors. And um, I don't know if you've found out um, if you're the only place in the country that's done that or if you have some company. Uh, and that might be beside the point today, but I think it's, a, a an, again, a kind of very, um, I love hearing about that whole um, millage uh, resource. Or do you know if you're the only one? Well, in Michigan, we have several uh, counties that have raised uh, property taxes for seniors. Not not all of them. There's probably ten, um, and, but all of them that have done this have done so in order to really uh, facilitate the services that the seniors need to stay in their homes. So we were fortunate that our community decided to join the ranks of the nine others in our state. Okay, very good. All right, uh, well questions, um, they're, they're gonna, we're gonna get very, very uh, specific. Uh, and I guess what I wanna do is just ask Sarah, because this might also pertain to a bunch of the questions. You've got different programs in different sites. Is the goal to come come up with a model that's very replicable, or to kind of get people going um, on at least something and uh, let people kind of adapt the model as they will? And what are your thoughts about financing um, as you've gotten to know some of the other programs uh, around the country, including Judy's? Great. Um, great question. So, uh, because the healthcare system in this country is so fragmented, you know, there's not really a system. Um, we, as people started to approach us about replicating it, we didn't think it made sense to say, oh no, hold off, we're waiting for this one perfect model. So, um, as I mentioned, it's in 20 places in 11 states, and each one is, uh, most of them are slightly different. Um, some are being run through home health. Um, there's going to be six new ones through healthcare, um, through Habitat for Humanity, where they're going to be the so-called handyman. Um, we've got two that are self-financed through accountable care organizations, um, and uh, the one, the ones in Maine are through a housing authority there, where the, they're using housing authority resources to help older adults age in place rather than moving into senior housing. You know, so it's it's been different everywhere, and I think. Um, we're just now creating a user group for all of the sites where we can ask them how it's going and what do they think and the best kinds of models and learn more um, from them because we started, you know, with, with research, which is obviously different in terms of financing. I do think that there is going to be a large self-pay market as well um, where because it's only $3,000 and um, for some people it's priceless <laughs> to be able to age at home in a better way and they've got the the money, that's not what we've focused on so far, but um, I do think that self-pay or a sliding scale could be a good model. We also think that through long-term care insurance, where similar to if your 16-year-old boy gets it licensed, you can have a cheaper car insurance rate if he takes defensive driving, you know, that there could be cheaper long-term care insurance if someone um, signs up for capable because we've got the data to show that they're less likely to need the long-term care. Um, so we've been just kind of having a let a thousand flowers bloom um, thought and that the model will figure itself out. 
Okay, very, very good. Well, that addresses, I think, at least two questions, I hope, uh, in the chat about replication uh, and what's kind of the game plan here right now, and also uh, the fact that the service m might not need to be limited to low income uh, uh, as well, right. but it's, it's uh, very, very powerful um, the way it is showing um, how cost-effective it is and what a difference it can make. There's a question about contracting uh, with handymen, <laughs> handymen like uh, Gary. And uh, again, Gary's situation, you know, has some unique characteristics to it. Uh, but um, and uh, maybe Gary could say something in Judy as well because uh, you've contracted with a handyman as well. Go ahead, Gary. Uh, well, really, this is probably more for uh, for Sarah to, to chat about. But uh, we we had actually done some pilot uh, work with uh, with Sarah, the capable program, uh, to just see how effective it was and, and how we could work with their OTs uh, getting the the services done for the seniors. Uh, and the actual numbers, uh, you know, I'm not really that involved with. But I'll give it back to Sarah to maybe fill in some of the details. Okay. Um, for people finding handyman, um, we have a handyman who lives next door, but I, I guess people <laughs> need to seek out these folks. <laughs> yeah. Right, and also, um, so as I mentioned, there's a lot of, you know, some of them are Habitat, some of them are Housing Authority. Um, some sites have hired a full-time handy person, and other sites have um, have contracted with a nonprofit like um, Civic Works. I think the key is. Finding um, someone who's mission-driven, you know, Gary doesn't say, oh, I spent up to the $1,300, so I'm not going to move that wire that's across your stairs. You know, finding finding an organization or a person who's in it for uh, for the change, um, for the better, for the older adult. And I also wanted to underscore, Gary said that the work order is in a priority um, order, and um, that is actually by the participants' goals. And so when we first started, we put the safety things all first and then the other things for their mobility after. And we realized quickly it made much more sense to do it based on what mattered to the participant. Because often you can't finish every single thing in the work order. And it needs it's important since they live there and it's their program and their house to um, get to the things that matter most to them first. Okay, that makes sense. Judy, how did you uh, have enlist the handyman that's working with your program? Well, um, I did something very similar to what Sarah was talking about. I contacted our local um, housing authority and asked um, if I could uh, send a request for proposal to the folks on their their uh, list, their contracted, qualified, and licensed um, handymen to see if anyone was interested. Uh, we were blessed um, in that the, the person that we found, again, very much like Gary, is very mission-driven. Uh, working with seniors sparked his interest, and um, he was willing to come and work on this program because he, um, he has gray hair himself himself and uh, loves working with the seniors as well. So really using that resource of your housing agency where they've already um, vetted um, 
contractors and have a good idea of who can work well with the population is um, some advice that I would give to anyone on this webinar if they're interested in looking for a handyman. Okay, thank you. Thanks very much. Uh, Kathy is asking which 11 states have the capable programs. We'll go back and share that slide so you can see um, which places uh, have it as far as I, I guess Sarah and others know uh, based on the work that they've been doing. Um, but maybe many of you uh, on the call today will get something going. And if you think of it, let Sarah know uh, so uh, she can e expand her list. Um, I wanted to throw this kind of general question in uh, capable and its emphasis on safe mobility in one's own home. It seems very much at home with IHI's own age-friendly initiative, which has been funded by the John A. Hartford Foundation. And I'm wondering, uh, from your perspective, Sarah, Sarah, what are some of the big cultural uh, either assumptions or changes that are needed? We, we are sort of going through a lot of uh, structural and financial things, but also what kinds of assumptions um, almost need to be challenged in order to break through into something like this? Right. Well, that's a wonderful question. I think there's several things. One is um, the overall lens of prevention. We don't tend to think about prevention with older adults except for, you know, the pneumonia shot and the flu shot. Um, but thinking this person will do well in their home if they can do you know, if they can bathe or if they can get dressed without difficulty. Um, so I think the first thing is thinking prevention. The second thing is investing. So, you know, it cost $3,000 um, in that four months, and it, we're showing it saves many more times that, but whose dollar is that, right? So is it, it works well for a Kaiser or the VA or a place where they know they're getting the money back themselves in terms of not paying for the utilization. Um, and so just like if a home health care wants to offer it, that's great. But if they don't have the way of saving the dollars themselves, then they're going to need philanthropic money or self-pay um, because the, that it runs up against our fragmented system that's this large, you know, that's a big part of the healthcare culture. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, thanks. And a, a couple of questions. I'm, I'm now remembering there's one earlier about family caregivers and what role they might play in this uh, whole setup. Uh, does everybody see eye to eye in terms of priorities? And is it your priority, <laughs> Judy? Maybe I'll ask you that you're working with people who are living pretty much on their own uh, in, in their homes, uh, or might that vary as well? Well, most of the time the, the folks that are living in their homes are, are generally um, single, widowed, widower, divorced. But yes, we have had situations where the family members have, have uh, decidedly um, had input 
um, or wanted to have input in terms of uh, what they thought they needed. And it all goes back to that issue of it's, it's driven by the client, not necessarily by the family member's wishes or desires because sometimes those can be um, at odds with each other. So the, the real important part of this is really working with that, that client for them to understand um, that they're driving this, not necessarily um, their adult children who might want to have them um, do something different. And so it's, again, it's that issue of having that team of the OT who is very, um, who is very um, flexible and um, has a ability to work well um, with all members of the family as well as the nurse, because that, those those situations do arise. Mm -hmm. Yeah, if I can just give a quick example, we had sure. someone with Parkinson's whose hands shook quite badly, and she wanted to be able to feed herself. Her family was feeding her. And her family, so that was one of her goals. She wanted to feed herself. And her family members jumped right in and said, no, you can't. Because for them, they were sick of cleaning up the mess from her feeding herself. And um, we discussed that it was the person's goals we were interested in. And we got them weighted spoons, spoons with weights and, and weighted forks. There's $7. And then the participant could feed herself without making a mess. And she was thrilled and the family was thrilled. Um, but it was it was such a deep deep goal for the person, and very understandable that the family uh, was nervous about her feeding herself. So that's where the clinician expertise can match up with the person's motivation um, and make real change. Okay, great. There's a question about whether volunteers are welcome in this kind of arrangement, or uh, is that part of the model now, or could it be? Um, and uh, somebody is also asking um, whether or not there might be some coordination of capable with the PACE program, uh, another uh, very important program that's encouraging uh, support at home. Sarah, I guess um, maybe I'll share, I'll ask you that. Sure. So in terms of volunteers, um, I think that there's a lot of room for volunteers on all sides, on the the home repair side on the, on the and on the clinician side, depending on people's skills and interests and availability. We, we actually have a new small program with nursing students called Capable Serve, where two nursing students are paired up with a capable participant, and they're not the nurse, but they actually are with them for a whole semester and just learn from them more. We've found that the biggest part in training new nurses and OTs is this shift to thinking about the person's goals and not just jumping in and, and that in the action planning and brainstorming that to let it be the person's thoughts and the person's ideas and writing those down and using those as a basis and that that, that really unleashes their motivation. And so um, I think volunteers could be worked in in any um, capacity as long as, you know, they didn't just come, you know, on a Saturday in April. Um, and then in terms of the PACE program, absolutely. I've been trying to get in front of the PACE provider group for a little while. The trick would be, uh, you know, small PACE programs wouldn't have the budget to do it. It would need to be a 300 or 400 uh, participant PACE program because, again, the, just the investment in paying forward essentially. But since they already have nurses and occupational therapists and they have budget for home modification, it shouldn't be too expensive. Um, 
we've learned in the not in Judy's program, but in Michigan, it's it's been piloted in the Medicaid waiver, and they're actually saving money just within the waiver services, not the kind of money I was mentioning in terms of hospital admissions, but just in terms of the services they're having to provide capable in terms of its organization and people being able to take care of themselves better is saving money within the waiver, and we think that would probably be true for PACE as well. Okay. Well, thank you very much. Um, I appreciate on the chat that people are asking a lot of really great questions, and I think, you know, answers uh, may still have to unfold. There's uh, several comments or a handful of frustration uh, in terms of funding and people who are deemed to uh, have just a little bit too much money uh, in order to maybe uh, gain uh, from, uh, you know, innovative programs or even additional supports at home. So I want to thank people who shared uh, some of those stories. Um, you know, it's hard to know sometimes whether an innov innovative cost-effective model can be yet another way that can sort of bring um, accessible, affordable things uh, into the system. Uh, John, why don't we just make a mention of our upcoming summit? We'll 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 get that in here, and then we'll we'll uh, start uh, wrapping up with everyone. Yeah, thanks a lot, Madge. Uh, well, if you, you've enjoyed the conversation today, I, I think a, a place that you'll find uh, or an event that you'll find energizing is the 2018 IHI Summit on Improving Patient Care. Uh, it's a destination for healthcare professionals who are trans, uh, committed to transforming primary care um, and, and and in smart, innovative ways, like we've discussed today. Um, the conference will be held April 26th to 28th uh, in San Diego, California, and it combines practical instruction with uh, really just rejuvenating inspiration. You'll leave equipped and eager uh, to make the changes that improve the lives for your patients. So you can learn more at ihi.org slash summit. All right. Thank you very much. Um, I appreciate, again, we've sort of got a, a bunch of uh, people are wondering uh, about whether or not cognitive impairment, which is something that, Sarah, you mentioned early on, might be something that would prohibit uh, being part of this program, whether there might be a way to look at that uh, a little bit further. Is there anything you wanted to mention on that? Sure, yes. So uh, we have taken people through mild cognitive impairment and cognitively intact. Um, and then my colleague, Laura Gitlin, who I mentioned, has developed several models that have similar basis, although not the same, called TAP and COPE for people with um, more, with true dementia. Um, and so I, I do think that there's a lot of room for um, models that address people's home environment and the person and the caregiver as needed to improve their function. And, um, you know, capable isn't the be all and end all, it's what we've, what we've started with. Okay. Um, thanks very much. Um, Somebody is asking uh, whether the summit is, is still taking a call for abstracts. We can look on the website, but I don't think so. I think that the summit. It might be closed for abstracts, but for storyboards, it's still open. Okay. And I'll post Thank a link in the, in the chat so you guys can take a look at that. Thank you, John. I appreciate that. All right. We're going to go around the horn for sort of some final remarks uh, from our guests. And I want to, again, thank everybody. Uh, who has brought up issues. There's issues about whether younger, younger people uh, with certain kinds of disabilities uh, might benefit. I, want, I think one final question I might have for you, Gary, uh, bring you back in here, is 
how would you characterize your relationship with, I, we kept talking about a team, you, the RN, and the OT, but we didn't really get into exactly kind of what the communication streams are there. You're there to do uh, carpentry, as you described. Uh, do you also discuss, uh, are you asked in any way to help share any information that might be relevant for the nurse or the occupational therapist? Uh, yes, as a matter of fact, we, we do. I mean, there, there are times when I am there with either the OT or the nurse, rarely both, uh, and discuss certain issues that the, uh, the client may have. Uh, and once in a while, the client will tell me something that they either forgot to, uh, to mention to the OT or maybe a family member had brought up. So I will discuss it with them just to make sure I understand what they want and then obviously get back to, uh, to the OT, discuss what can be done, see if that can be added if need be. Um, and they are looking at, at my thoughts as well as to what I think makes sense and is there a particular way of doing something, whatever the something is, maybe adding a, an extra railing somewhere or uh, doing whatever we can to make access uh, a little bit easier, uh, you know, perhaps uh, lower a kitchen cabinet, something like that that uh, may not have been considered before. So, yeah, I, I definitely do feel like a, a part of the team, even though much of the time I am kind of on my own doing the work based on uh, what the OT has, uh, has given me as far as the, the work order. Okay. Final thoughts from you. Uh, this is obviously sounds like in, in your voice and certainly in your smile here in your photo, uh, get a sense of uh, how gratifying uh, this has been. Uh, a lot of people may, might make, uh, you know, except family members sometimes, it seems it's very hard to get somebody to come around and do small jobs. Um, and people might feel like, oh my God, I'm going to get sucked into doing a whole lot of other things as well. Any, any thoughts at all about how you might encourage, you're definitely doing that on the young person's side with AmeriCorps. I'm just wondering also, uh, at your stage of life. For me, it's been wonderful. I mean, like I say, I was a cabinet maker for many years, and much of the work I did was medium to high end, and it's a, it's a whole different clientele, different needs, different wants. Uh, the, the part of it that I enjoyed the most was solving the problem, and that's what I really enjoy uh, doing the work here. Uh, I also get blessed a lot from our clients. I get the occasional hug. It's, it's really very sweet, and you can see definitely a change uh, in, in the client as well, our, our elders. With the, the young folks, uh, it's, it's funny to try to see them kind of get it, and then they, they've now picked up this new skill. I do warn them that they are going to be now their family's favorite person to go to to do anything. They will have many new friends who want them to put in something that they didn't know that they could do, uh, and they actually do enjoy that. Uh, the, the thing I would really like to get them to do better, I think, is, is learn the math, that they really see fractions. Why, why do we need fractions? What are they for? I say, well, you know, you got a bank account. You might want to make sure the bank is doing it right. Or if you're you're buying a car and you want to make sure that they're not being overcharged for interest. But uh, that's that's kind of my little little go-to button for for them. But yeah, it's it's great to to work with uh, my peers, the the older folks, and the the youngsters, and see that generation kind of come into their own. Wonderful. Well, I want to. Uh, I uh, it's it's great to hear about all this. Uh, and thank you so much, Gary, for being part 
of the program uh, today uh, so you could share what's been going on. Judy, you mentioned uh, you're trying to sort of pull all the pieces together uh, to push this program uh, further uh, in time and you'll wait uh, even more results. Uh, any other parting words that you'd like to leave us with today? I guess the, the, the most important thing is that anything is doable, you just have to figure out a way to do it and, mm -hmm. you know, and, and the bottom line is, is we all at some point or another are going to need some assistance and if we can put ourselves in that position, um, thinking about projects going forward, um, it's easier to overcome obstacles when we all work together as a team. Okay. Well, very, very nice to meet you through the process of this program, Judy, and it'll be fun to check back and find out what's going on. But thanks so much for being part of the show. And Sarah, uh, how fortuitous that we were introduced uh, a yeah. few months back and so uh, terrific to hear about this. I know the age-friendly initiative uh, based here at IHI is, is very excited to hear uh, about the work, uh, so much of the centrality of what matters to you. That's one of the M's uh, of the Age-Friendly Initiative, which I heard you speak to over and over again uh, in terms of what matters to the clients. So uh, any final thoughts? Uh, what should we look for, I guess, in the immediate future? Well, I wanted to close just in terms of what matters. Um, we just finished with a participant who wanted to be able to shave standing up, you know, and, and the title about this was about dignity, and that's not something that would ever occur to me, but through decreasing the pain that he was in and um, grab bars, he's able to shave standing up, and he's able now to get on his back porch, which was his favorite thing. Um, and in terms of what to look for next, I think we'll see a user group of all the capable sites and more brainstorming about how to get it into PACE. And now that the Chronic Care Act was put into the budget deal that was passed a few weeks ago, we're going to see less of a barrier between Medicare and non-health spending, what they consider non-health spending. And so I think it'll be a real game changer in terms of being able to address some of these social determinants. Okay, very good. Well, uh, Sarah, thank you again as well for also helping to bring for the program that you're working on and all the research and for bringing all these folks together. Thank you for being a terrific audience. And since you've uh, contributed quite a bit in the chat, please make sure to download that chat, excuse me, the chat when you're prompted to uh, as you close out of the WebEx today. It will also uh, be posted to our website tomorrow along with the audio and the slides. Uh, as well as some references. Next up on WHI on March 8th, we're going to be talking about mindfulness and patient safety. Very, very excited about this. We've got two of the people, including the, the chief person who uh, created a course on uh, mindfulness for IHI's Open School. We're going to do a mindful exercise on the program, which I'm sure will benefit everyone in the middle of the day. Uh, so look out for that on the March 8th program. Uh, and uh, also check out our archives, excuse me, on WHI. We've got quite a roster. The show has been going strong since 2009. 
Uh, there are the upcoming shows. I also want to, there's a survey that we ask you to quickly fill out that tells us how you found today's show. And then we have another one we're circulating right now. Maybe John can put that up. John will put the link or Vicki will put the link in there because you can't click on that slide. We are doing some nice thinking right now about WIHI going forward. And if you could provide some input to us, uh, we want to uh, continue to make this show valuable for all. So thank you very much for that. They're a great group that makes WIHI possible. They include John Gothier, Matt Morse, Vicki Minden, Joanna Carmona, Jameson Case, and Val Weber. I want to also thank Anna, our Northeastern co-op today, uh, for all her help uh, with the survey and other things pertaining to WIHI. And as always, it's my privilege to host this program that's about spirited learning and improving health and patient care. So for the Institute for Healthcare Improvement, Thanks, everyone, for being part of the show today. I'm Madge Kaplan. Good day.